Hi, my name is Dan Ariely, and welcome to Arming the Donkeys, a weekly podcast about science. Every week, I will talk to one researcher about one project who have a chat about what they found and what it means for our lives. Dan's guest this week is Robert Frank, professor of management at the Johnson School of Management at Cornell University. Okay, so we're sitting here at Cornell. You just, uh, I'm here with uh, Bob Frank, uh, one of my favorite economists, and actually I like many economists, so it's not just that I don't like <laughs> many of them. And you just finished eating a chocolate chip cookie. Was it good? It was terrific. It was terrific, good. And uh, I wanted to, you to tell me a little bit about uh, this project or income inequality and what do you think are the, are the causes um, for the particular pattern of expenditure we, we see. Yeah, uh, th- this is a paper, Dan, that I did with a, a former student, Adam Seth Levine. And what we were curious about was what the effect of the changing pattern of income distribution has been in the United States. So first of all, the, the change is fairly simple. For yeah, the, people, the, the, the poor people have become richer and the rich people have become much less rich, right? <laughs> What, what the pattern was, was that income groups saw their, their incomes grow at about the same rate during the, the three decades right after World War II, almost 3% a year. Rich, middle, poor, didn't matter. Yeah. After that, so starting sometime in the mid-70s or so, uh, there was almost no growth anywhere in the income distribution except at the top. Yeah. All the growth went to people at the top. And, and my understanding is that the, what's called the Gini coefficient that measures this, uh, the U.S. is kind of uh, basically the, the most skewed of all the Western countries. We're kind of between the Western countries and South America. Is that correct? Yeah, we, we have now become the by far the most unequal distribution of income in any of the industrialized countries. Yeah, and it's approaching the levels once associated with... Uh, some of the Latin American countries so, where revolution often followed in the wake of increases in inequality. Okay, so so this this is clearly happening. Uh, do some economists look at this as a good thing? Uh, you you'll see some economists saying, well, it's a, it's an unfortunate consequence. If we didn't have all this inequality, the economy wouldn't function properly, and so everybody would be poorer. Uh, that belies the experience of most of the European countries where inequality is much lower and they've had good growth. And, and yes, especially recently, it's very hard to argue that we're doing better than Europeans. Yes, so, so the, the question is, well, wh- what is the consequence of uh, the fact that income has grown only at the top? And the, the general rule is that people spend their income. Uh, yep. If you have more, you spend more. So it, it's not a moral <laughs> indictment of people at the top that they're spending more. That's just what it, all people do when they get more money. They're building bigger houses. They're spending more on cars, on clothing, on jewelry, on everything. Okay, and these are the people at the top, and they have money, and there's no problem with this. No problem. Uh, and the people in the middle don't seem jealous. They're not angry as they are in some other societies. So they, we don't get upset that Bill Gates has a very big boat. We want to see a picture of it. You know, okay. we, we like the lifestyles of the rich and famous images and, and so on. But when the people at the top spend more... That shifts the frame of reference that people just below the top use to figure out what they need or what's desirable for them. Okay, so we don't get upset with Bill Gates having a big boat, but we want a little one, maybe a dinghy. Uh, you know, my wants directly are unchanged by what Bill Gates does. I uh-huh. can't afford his, his boat. But the, the people just below Bill Gates, they build a little bigger too because now maybe it's the uh-huh. custom to have your daughter's wedding reception in your home instead of in a hotel or, or dinner yeah. parties now. They're 36 people, not 24 people. So they build bigger. And 
you know, all comparisons are local, really. So they have a group that they socialize with who earn a little less than them. So yes. that, that group, too, builds bigger, and then the group just below them builds bigger. So, so, so trickle-down luxury. Exactly. It's, a, it's what uh, Adam, Seth Levine, and I called expenditure cascades. It's, uh-huh. it's launched in the first instance by people at the top. Then eventually uh, what we've seen is that the, the house in the middle now is about 50% bigger the, among the newly ones built than it was in 1980. But it's not just that they become richer and have more money. Instead, what you're saying is that over time, this, this ideal of what's the right luxury kind of trickles down from the rich to the less. Yeah. Other people are spending more because of the shifting frame of reference. So I'm in the middle. I don't have any more money. What do I do? Well, I, maybe I don't care about having a bigger house. I can't afford one. But my neighbors are all spending more. If I don't spend more, if I buy a below average price house, The problem for me is that my kids then have to go to below average schools. There's a very close link between how much you spend on your house That's and how right. good the schools are. So, so, so all, these, all these local comparisons basically over time create some uh, escalation where you need to spend more and more and more to right. keep. So I feel pressure to spend more. How much do I need to spend on an interview suit? Well, the rich are spending more, and that's trickled down too. So if I don't spend more on a suit, then I don't get the call back because uh, mm-hmm. everybody else like me is spending yeah. more. So in some sense, the curse is that we're linked to the very rich. I mean, if there was a chasm, we would, there exactly. would be like a different yeah. country if, or we never talked to them or never heard about them, there wouldn't be a problem. If there weren't that cascade, we, we'd be free of that influence. And, and the reason that it's a problem is that you know, I have to buy a more expensive house to continue to send my kid to an average quality school, but I don't have more money. So, so is there any evidence for this? Well, that, that was our focus in the paper was, you know, could, if the story is correct, we would expect to see evidence that the people in the middle are in greater financial distress now than before, and not just in general, but in particular in those places where inequality has grown the most. Okay. So what, so, what do you do? So we could look at county data. Uh, for the last two censuses, you could actually compute the county level inequality uh, using the census data and, so, and so just to be clear, so you take the census data for a particular is county the same as zip code? We, we looked at the the hundred largest counties now counties are are not the same as zip codes it 's a bigger unit than a zip code okay so the the hundred largest counties and we could see where where income inequality had grown most, where it had grown most and, slowly. And the data is in, in the census, they actually record people's income, uh, salaries, uh, wages. Exactly, um, yeah. You, you've got wealth. fairly detailed income measures. Okay. Uh, uh, the Federal Reserve does a separate study on wealth. We didn't use that, but on, uh, on income inequality mm-hmm. alone. In the counties where income inequality had grown the most, we saw three particular increases in finan- symptoms of financial distress. Yeah. One was that people became more likely to file for bankruptcy in those counties. Okay, so, so they basically stretched themselves thinner and basically took too much risk and basically uh, lost everything. Or lost a lot they, they you know not everybody files for bankruptcy when they get in financial trouble but you know if more people are in financial trouble you would expect yeah, the, the, right. the rate of bankruptcy to go up and it did we also saw uh, the biggest increases in divorce rates in those same counties where inequality had grown the most and, and uh, what what's the mechanism the, there people the fight marriage more? counselors say that almost all couples they counsel whose marriages are in trouble have financial problems right near the top of their list is that because they have to go to a financial consult uh, to a marriage, a marriage consultant and they charge too much it, it can't help <laughs> <laughs> it can't help so More increase in divorce in those counties, and then another measure of financial distress if you can't pay your bills 
and meet your mortgage payment in, in a neighborhood where you are close to where you want to be, one solution is to move further away. Yeah, so to, uh, to basically take... cheaper. Land is and cheaper. So they, and then you commute the long distance and suffer that inconvenience. And, and with these gas prices, it's not necessarily going to help you much. It, in, in today's prices, that might not be as attractive a solution as it yeah. was in 2000. So when, when we actually looked, we found that in the counties where income inequality had grown the most, we saw the biggest increases in long commute times, too. Wow. So basically, if, if I try to recap the story, the story is that income income inequality causes people to basically almost have, psychologically, they feel like they have to start spending more money, which gets them to take more financial risk, get more fights with their uh, spouses, and they have uh, sometimes to move to move to places that are more difficult to commute to work to in order to try and save save money. That, that's very sad. Yeah. You're, you have as much income as you used to, but... Now that income doesn't buy what you need anymore. Yeah, and and you can't just say it, it's because the price of housing went went up because it's it, not just that. It's not just it's not just that. Very interesting. So what what can you do? How can you how can you solve this? I mean, let's say inequality is not something an individual can control. It's just something we can do. What do we move to counties without rich people? That that's what some people are doing. If if you move to low inequality counties, the the cost of making ends meet as a middle class family does go down. But but it's not just the cost. Now you don't start to compare yourself. I mean, how do you how do you prevent yourself from this trickle down uh, comparison? You know, if it's just that you see somebody with a, a a nice handbag and you feel you have to have it, well, you could say get over it. You know, yeah. that's not so important. But I think where we we don't really expect parents to adjust and say, "Well, uh, people like me uh, send spending, their kids to bed schools. They're spending more than I am on a house. I can't afford that. So their kids go to average schools. I'm content to let my kids go to schools Below where the students score in the 20th percentile." We don't yeah. expect that from a parent. You know, the parent's going to borrow money. <laughs> is going to take whatever steps she can to get her kids into the best possible school. Yeah, and that means sort of living on the financial edge for these people. Uh, that's depressing. Any any kind of comforting uh, words? Well, I mean, sort of the silver lining to the story is that since the the gains at the top have been very big, and people have been spending in the usual ways, the the actual extra happiness the people at the top get from their bigger houses doesn't seem to be very great. You know, when uh -huh. everybody builds a bigger mansion, the main effect of that seems to be that you just shift the bar that defines how big a house people well, like the fact that the very wealthy people are not as happy as they could be if is not is not a real comfort to me no no but, but but what it means is we could we could scrap the income tax and move instead to a progressive consumption tax yeah. you pay tax on your your income minus your savings and at a very steep rate once you spend pay. beyond a certain threshold yeah. that would give people at the top an incentive to build smaller mansions uh -huh. a lot of money would be saved Build a smaller, a bigger mansion if you want to, but then pay a heavy tax on penalty that. on that, and that would mean the tax burden could go down for people in the middle. So yeah, we could we could ease their burden without really costing the people at the top anything that's really important. To them. What what about? I mean, an interesting part of your argument is the schools and education is right. a big driver for this uh, effect of inequality on expenditure. Uh, does that mean that uh, you think schooling should be more? regulated, we should pour more money into this. Is this kind of a big social equalizer from this perspective of the cascade of luxury? Yeah, if you could make all the schools equal, mm -hmm. if, if you had some magic wand you could wave that would make that happen, 
the big ticket item, the, the amount you have to spend on your house, would be taken out of the equation. You know, then you could say to people, well, buy what you can afford and... and and that would help. You, you wouldn't have this problem. I, I don't think, as a practical matter, you can make all the schools equal. The yeah. But e- what, what if you just made them all, uh, at least the, the bottom ones, better? It would be a good thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. But in countries that spend the same on all schools, uh, in France, how much they spend on each school doesn't depend on yeah. property tax. It's all the budgets are the same. Still, the best schools are in the more expensive neighborhoods yes, because that's where the students who perform best, happen to live. And so yeah. so if you want to send your child to the, the best schools, you've got to live in one of the more expensive neighborhoods. So you don't really escape the problem even then. Okay, but at least, at least it gives me hope that investing in education, even if we don't solve it, we could at least get slightly better. Yeah, yeah, it's a good step to take. Very good. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. My pleasure. This has been Arming the Donkeys, a weekly podcast with Dan Ariely, professor of behavioral economics at Duke University. Learn more at research.duke.edu.